Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We welcome in a man that I wouldn't blink when talking to because he'll be gone in a flash. This former big leaguer played 21 years in the big leagues across eight teams. Yes, he would be legal to drink just from his playing career. This beast accumulated a career 138 wins, 3.96 ERA, and over 1,900 strikeouts in just over 2,100 innings pitched. A Rolaids Relief Man of the Year award winner recorded 54 consecutive saves by being a strikeout artiste and a father of two well-known big league ball players. One just happening to be in my favorite team's organization. We welcome in the three-time All-Star and World Series champion, Tom, a.k.a. Flash Gordon. How's it going, Tom? Hey. Oh, man, thank you, guys. I appreciate that introduction. I'm going well. Everything's going well. How are you all? Good, man. Really good. We're very appreciative to be talking to the only pitcher in MLB history with 100 wins and 100 saves and holds. I mean, man, you're just – you did a little bit of everything in your career. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was fortunate enough, man. You know, early on, I uh, projected to be a starter with Kansas City and what, you know, of course, I enjoyed that. Uh, I started for a good little while there. And uh, I just remember, I recall um, John Shurholds uh, was saying, hey, Flash, at some point, we like to try to make you closer, especially if Montgomery decides to sign somewhere else to leave his free agent. It's like, okay, well, I mean, really didn't know the role, but I did feel like, you know, man, and I had that arm where I could bounce back. Day to day, and I and I felt like I could. Well, me, trust me. And a lot of times, I hear a lot of guys, especially that ex big league, were saying, "Man, they do not like being real going from relieving to starting." It was just a jump for them, but for me, I embraced it. I was actually excited about being a reliever because it felt like I was an everyday player. Yeah, and I mean, your career was really decorated, honestly. And what we like to do, I like to always kind of start out the early life, a little before you, you actually were in the big leagues. And I saw that you were raised in poverty. And I think that can do a lot to help shape a man and a player for what they become. So can you talk about just kind of what that experience was like growing up and how that turns you into the man and ball player you eventually became and then what getting drafted in that signing bonus kind of meant to you? Yeah, I, I tell you, you know, I, I give my hometown – people around it so much credit because I know the coaches wanted to follow the play. So for instance, we take our high school baseball, which is one of the most dear coaches in the world to all of us in this community. You know, if we were late practice, he'd come look for us. Uh, if something was going on home, he's come to our houses to find out for my parents uh, what would be going on. We had kids at time that family struggled to pay their bills and also kids at times family couldn't afford to give them two meals a day. So, and, and, you know, at times, you know, my family struggled really hard with that, but our coaches made it that much easier for us and gave us an opportunity to feel like we are going to be a part of their families too. So 
it's a close-knit close -knit family. I mean, I grew up in a community that loved everyone, tried to help everyone succeed, and uh, I don't think there would have never been a place for me that I would have ever seen. Till, till this day, I'm actually in a be around the people that I love. Project see everyone is there, the kids are playing stickball out there, moving around, even when they're playing for my mission, things that. And I uh, know in my childhood, I had a lot of people that was going to help God. We had a lot of kids that loved sports things and went to college and played professional sports, but I was just one of them. Again, you got drafted by the Royals, as you already mentioned, and you appeared in five games in 1988, but you became the Flash the next year when you went 17 and 9, 364 ERA, and 153 strikeouts, which was 10th highest total in the American League. You finished second in rookie of the year voting. So did you feel like, hey, man, Flash has arrived at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I was starting to really learn the game. Uh, I had a lot of guys that was actually helping me. Brett Saberhagen, Mark Ubazar, just a real good host of quality pitchers on our team that would really just push me and motivate me to continue on. Uh, and of course, I needed to start my own routine. Uh, my discipline. Was like I said, uh, Brett Saberhagen, who took out a lot of time for youngsters to try to help them to figure out their way and their path to success in the major leagues. And that was so instrumental to me because I was, like I said, I was green. I was young. I was just wanting to throw hard. There were even times where I was so caught up on the fastball, I would, you know, neglect my own curveball at times. And, of course, people would tell me I had one of the best curveballs ever in the game. But I would neglect the curveball because so mentally, uh, such a young you immature player at that time you want to just throw hard and everybody just strike out and you try to strike them out again with home run and while and after a while they start picking up that pace they got they figure your rhythm out and that's when you have to start being able to make quality changes into your delivery and the quality pitches that you throw every day i mean it's a pitch to get out but it's also pitches to get out out of the strike zone you need to learn that so it was it definitely was a great season for me but it was always more it was also one of the most learning curves for me as well you talk about curves. I mean, your curveball, I was looking up highlights recently. Woo, what a dirty pitch. I'm surprised you didn't want to use that more at the beginning. Well, and I, I drew, honestly, I did. I really tried as much as I could to use it, probably about 50-50. And, uh, of course, you know, young player, that probably didn't make the most sense, being able to not use a fastball when I'm throwing 94, 95 miles per hour nearly as much. So I was around pitching coaches that, understood, hey, we want to stay healthy for the longevity side of that. Let's try to get back to being able to locate our fastball and also using them more of a changeup. And I didn't, I never got the grasp of the changeup. I just really used uh, my curveball, change speeds with it, change speed with my fastball, and we got a little bit of a slider in between to kind of give them a little something different to see. But, uh, I, you know, hey, it worked out great. And it worked out for me because, you know, I was – people tell me I was very coachable and I was hoping to be coachable because I felt like I didn't know, the, and it, you know, anything up there. I felt like I was, it was going to take me years to really understand what it was going to be like to be a major league and be successful at it. And then transition into a veteran. Now that's the veteran pitcher. That's good. Has an idea. Most teams know what he'll do from day to day, year to year out. I still had no clue. I was still learning each and every day for the first three to four years. Yeah. And it kind of shows in your career because you had a great season with Kansas city that uh, second year and then a couple of years after that, you ended up signing with Boston and they converted you to a closer. 
And that kind of just yeah. re-sparked your career. And I know you touched on that before. I- I'm just curious, were you accepting of this move at first, having been a starter? And what was? did you change your pitch mix up at all once you made the conversion? And did the mindset change? Yeah. I, you know, what was so ironic with that is because I wasn't expecting it, to be totally honest with you. But uh, Jimmy Williams, the manager, calls me in the office and said, hey, man. Uh, Flash, I really believe you can do this. you got three quality pitches. If you throw your hard curveball, he's using a strikeout. You throw the one to set the left-hander sitters up with. Uh, and then you got your fastball up, your rising fastball. I mean, you have the pitches. It's just whether or not you feel you would be, you'd love to be in the bullpen or you could pitch for five days. For me, I felt like I wanted to be an everyday player. It was a struggle. And I have to say, I tell kids this sometimes. I say for me, it was more of a struggle a little bit because I always wanted to play every day. I felt like I had a shortstop center field mentality but I'm only getting to play as a starting pitcher once a week. So it's like I didn't play golf. I didn't have no nothing to do with myself, but I, I did. I was, I was a guy that worked out a lot. I wanted to lift weights. I wanted to train, um, but it still felt like game time. I was doing no game time stuff. So I would go to the manager and say, hey, look, if you needed me to pinch run, I'd pinch run for it. I'd do anything to just kind of get in the game, and they thought that, that was really cool. And I actually I got in a couple games to pinch run. And, and so – with that, the learning curve, but how it went for me to become a closer is because once Jimmy asked me that question, I felt like now I may be in the position that's best suited for me because it gives me a chance to come here every day, to be motivated to play every day, have want to grind every day. Know what my, and my arm felt good seven days a week. So I was one of those starters that never really went through a sore arm period. I could pitch and throw 100 pitches, go back out the next day and still throw 45 to 50 in the game if they needed me to. So – it benefited me to be a closer. And once I got into that closer's role, I loved every single thing about it. I liked the fact that I had to finish the game. I liked the fact that I had to strike the best hitter out. I liked the fact that the game was on the line. And then at the end of the game, here's that song. Dun, 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 I was so, I, oh, man, it was something. So that's, it just, it just fueled my fire to want to be a closer and, and, that's how it went on. It trickled down from there. I was just always looking to become a closer again, try to figure out how that uh, that relates to my career and what I can do. And once I realized I had the fastball, had the two breaking balls, I didn't actually need another pitch, and I stuck with that, and it made me very successful as long as I was out there playing. Tom, you sound so open-minded and optimistic and ready to embrace any role that you're given. You know, just even hearing it in your voice now, I'm sure that's why you were really loved in Boston. Even to the point that Stephen King referenced you in a novel, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. What was it like to be so well-liked that you're referencing something outside of baseball? And Stephen King isn't a no-name author. I mean, he's a pretty well-known publisher. Yeah, Yeah, you know, man, I tell you, that was such a blessing. My God, my God. You know, and when I got the transcripts, I was actually in Florida. So Saber Hagen is a big, you know, he's one of those guys like to do the pranks. He put a prank on you in there. So I get this big old book of transcripts and I'm like, what is this stuff? And uh, for some reason, I see I'm going to call Sage because it looked like something he's just sent me doing, you know, being funny. Maybe he's writing a book. I don't know. And I call him. He says, no, man, who does it say is on there? I said, Stephen King. He's like, call him. I call him. He answers the phone. Told me he had been looking for me for about two or three months trying to get in touch with me so he can get the book right started and going. And uh, I thank God because, you know, he, he asked me, he said, you know, we're going to make a lot of money from this book. What would you like to do with the money? And I said, I like I like to donate it to churches. I mean, for the blessings that I've received. I mean, I would you wrote the book. I, I didn't write the book. I'm just honored that you chose me to be a part of something so spectacular, something a part of you and Tab's life. 
something a part of the community that I've gotten a chance to go see at his home. And he came to my hometown, my little hometown in Avon Park, Florida. We got one restaurant in my little hometown. He came into hometown and spent four hours there signing kids book for my high school. I mean, it was just the most beautiful thing in the world. Uh, and, you know, my mom always says when you're like that, people love you. You're humble enough. People want to be around you and they'll they'll do things with you and for you. So he left that rep- impression on me that people loved me. And I, for me, I just felt like so as I try to enhance my career, go further in my life. Hey, I just want to be someone that someone says, hey, Flash left a lasting impression in the game of baseball, but he left a lasting impression as a person in the game. And I tell these kids that that's what I like to see them do. So that was very important to me because I loved playing in Boston. I really did. They embraced me open armly, open arms. They showed me nothing but love. And what now I do the fantasy camps for them. I've been doing them now for the last five years because I just like being in my Red Sox uniform. Uh, of course, I did the Yankees. I did the Phillies, but I really enjoy it because of Boston showed me a lot of love there, and I was grateful for that. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious. So I know it wasn't directly after, but you went from the Red Sox to the Yankees, which is a, a <laughs> obviously a big yeah. change. And, um, Can you believe that? I said, I was, you know, I, I'm from Florida, and you take Florida, Florida football, Florida State football, high school football here in the state of Florida. I mean, you put the best schools on the field, and I mean, you could have five, six, seven thousand fans show. You felt like you were a high school kid playing for it, and I, I got that opportunity. You felt like, wow, you were already at a high level and on a big stage. So it was not until I played with the Red Sox and that rivalry took shape for me. It literally felt like I was playing on the biggest, the baddest stage with the best players, the guys that everybody in the world wanted to see play. And I, my little self was there. Me, I was there to contrib- contribute in that game. And I contributed in pretty much all of them, whether I was playing for the Red Sox and the Yankees. So that really sent uh, that, that gave me chills playing for that, playing in that, uh, that rivalry. And it always did. I was just so happy to be a part of that. And speaking of part of that rivalry, I was very curious because obviously with the Yankees, you turned from a close to a setup man. And you set up for arguably the greatest, not even arguably, you set up for the greatest closer of all time in Mariano Rivera. Uh, I'm curious, did, uh, did you guys have a, a good relationship? And uh, what was it like yeah. mentally kind of setting up for him? I'll tell you, but, you know, the best, the best pitcher, best relief pitcher uh, in baseball, but not only that, he, he did it with ease. But the way he would go about it, he was a professional every single day. I learned a lot from Mo uh, in two years that I probably wouldn't have learned somewhere else for four or five. Um, Mel Stoudemire being the pitching coach, he would show how to break down. He would take his guys out and show us how to break down Mariano's mechanics. He had Mariano break down our mechanics. And it was just, we were like clockwork because we knew what each other could do. We knew the extent of it. We knew when each other was tiring. We knew if we need a guy needed a blow. We need, it, it was just so intriguing to be with Mo and Mel because when you're talking about the best pitcher in baseball, he's literally the best pitcher in baseball. He's the best. He's a, the most competitive guy I've ever played with. Uh, more uh, in tune, understood, prepared player I ever played with. You can basically walk up to Mo in the sixth inning and say, hey, uh, Jim Edmonds has just gone 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. What was that last pitch you struck out on? Okay, it was a changeup. Okay, he knew that. He knew why. He knew the approach to every single thing. Then he turned around and give us that information to make sure we had it. Even though some of us knew it was still, he was the captain of the bullpen. He prepared like a pro. He it was a pro every single day. And 
as you know, what he did on the field, I mean, it looked as easy as it can possibly be. It, it looked like it was nothing for him to do. But for anybody else trying it, you can't get the same feel on the cutter. Kids can't throw the cutters the same. The speed's not the same. I tried throwing the cutter. Uh, I probably gave up 10 or 15 bombs on that cutter. But <laughs> he throws the cutter, and nothing happens other than a strikeout or jam, broken back, he out of the inning. I was like, hey, you know, that's easy, brother. But I'm, I'm more power to you. I'm happy for you. But the competition there where Joe, Joe Torrey would come in and he'd say, I don't ever worry about my bullpen. We're in the middle. We're in like not even a third of the way in the season. He says, I don't worry about my bullpen in a meeting. And I'm sitting there thinking, he's talking about me. I'm that guy. <laughs> so I was like, I, my chest started to poke out a little bit. I was like, oh, Lord, Joe Torrey saying, I'm one of the guys. I'm good. I, so to make some long story short, I got to tell you guys this. I'm thinking when I signed with the Yankees, I put my locker right at that door. If you first come through the door, old Sadie, you come through the door. I had the first locker. And, and Joe says, well, why won't you go back there and get a locker where you can have two flash? I said, no, 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 no. He said, why? I said, because if something don't go well, and Steinbrenner calls, calls down and say, tell Flash he's released, I don't want anybody to see me cry. I'll just grab my stuff and walk <laughs> right out of the door. <laughs> I walk, grab my, I'm going to grab my stuff, pick it all up, walk out of the door. No one would have seen me leave. But Mariana gave as much confidence in me and showed me as much confidence in me. Come there every single day and say, Flashy, how you on? And my arm feels great. You know you got the eighth. I got the ninth. Flashy? How do you feel today? Uh, I don't feel as good today. Oh, I feel great. You got the uh, ninth inning today. It was just clockwork, and we knew the role. We knew what was was coming in preparation of the game it was going to be a close close game, or it was going to be a game out of hand by the eighth or ninth inning. It just worked like something I'd never actually been a part of. I would have never thought that it would work as smoothly as it did, and I did. I got a chance to pitch with the very best pitcher I thought in baseball. That's Mariano Rivera. Flash, obviously you had great arm talent, and it sounds like you have a really high IQ, not only for yourself, but kind of picking the brains of others. You pitched in three different decades. So what changes did you notice in how the game was being played? Yeah, I, you know, as I continue to age a little bit, I noticed that the game from what we saw in the American League style of play, we we're talking about a power game. We we're talking about a three-run inning, try to win, try to get a three-run in, get five, six, seven runs a game, and then we – start to see where now that style of American League style of baseball was starting to flip-flop because we want all the styles of baseball to co coexist together. Basically, National League was let's bunt, let's get the bunt over, get the, you know, get the run to second base in hopes that our hitter can drive him in. And now, you know, we're playing for one run an inning. Uh, so the game to me has, you know, totally changed from that because you're looking at the cyber, cyber metrics, a part of the baseball, these diamondetics parts of baseball, these other – forms of uh, information that's being given to the game. And I think for me, when I, and, and I love the game, I, I think there's a place for all of this stuff. I think there's a place in every sport that's happening that you can take something from, from it. But I do think it's more important to also understand the, the heart that you have from that player that's at bat, the heart and the drive that you have from that pitcher that's on the mound. Uh, if I have a guy throw 100 miles an hour, but he's not going to throw strike one, it does me no good if the game's on the line and he goes ball one, ball two, you know? And and that's what sometimes happens a lot is because we want to see the big arms, but we don't see guys with the uh, command and the control. And when you don't have that, it's tough for a manager to depend on you in the eighth and ninth inning because those two those two innings are very, very crucial. And it, it is hard for guys to get through. That's why you see so many closers change jobs. You'll be a closer one week, you'll be a setup the next week. 
because guys now today don't have the pinpoint control with their command, with their fastball, even have one pitch that they can command. And so that's where we got to get back to is having these guys understand what it's like to command their pitch. They can still throw 97 miles an hour. Maybe you feel like you want to throw 102, but throw 97 and throw that. And, and, they, and they probably do. But we got to get back to seeing pitchers be able to make their pitches, see pitchers be able to start the game uh, with, with getting through two innings right away. Because it, one, one particular thing that I loved about the Atlanta Braves, and I said this to Joe West once, I said, I said, you guys, you ever realize how the game starts and ends when the, when the Braves pitchers on the mound? It starts and it's dictated by how well the Braves pitchers start off by throwing strikes. The hitters will accept. If you're throwing strikes and around the plate, the hitters will accept that. Now, you can miss a pitch and call them out. Hey, strike me. All right, that's a saber-hater strike. They tip their hat and they move on, right? And there's times where the hitters understand that. You know what? He's close here. He's on, on that side of the plate there for the most part. But we'll we'll give him we'll give him one give the pitcher one side, but we're trying to command the second side. And and, and however, the game was stayed sped up. The game stayed motivated to play, and players understood it. That's why you have more strikeouts. Uh, and in today's game, we're seeing so many different things that are happening. You got the shift on that's just to me is really dramatic, and I, and I think it's dramatic. But now you're taking out the best athletes. I think we don't see enough. Da na na da na na. Uh, and I'd like to get back to that because it's that's that was so good about the game. You gotta you gotta play a player like Pedroia. After a while, a player like Pedroia won't be able to play in baseball. And that's because the shift is gonna take him. Well, I know he's hurt, but a, a, another player that may be coming like him. The shift is gonna take them to the outs outfield. And when they do have the feet and hands to move early on, because they're doing the shift now, they've lost their range. They forgot how to make the angles on the field and cut the field down and make it shorter so you can make the easy throw. They forgot who's running. It's just too much that, too much there that's going on. To me, now it takes away from a real good athlete uh, with a real good arm, somebody with some quick feet that can make a good play, and then the game is, you know, we see an athlete. Uh, there's times where I, I go watch a game, and it's like, wow, this game is a little boring to me. And, I, and there's nobody who loves baseball and watch games more than me. But there's times I get a little bit – overwhelmed by how slow it's moving and it's boring. The pitchers are not hitting the pitchers are not hitting their spots. They're not making good pitches, quality pitches. The hitters are doing a lot of taking. And you know, like I said, we'll probably never ever see another 3,000 hitter if we keep these shifts on. And I recommended this. I recommend this to uh Manford. I said I, I have a really good idea. I like you to listen to me. But of course he haven't gotten back to me yet on it. And I, and I hope he does. So I won't just throw it all out there. I just said here's a good idea. There's one position on the field that if you go up and grab the ball from around that position and throw it to home plate, you have to make a pitch or have to be, uh, face that batter. And that that is the pitcher's mound. That's the only position on the field. So basically, you can go to shortstop, pick up the ball from shortstop, throw it in the home plate, and you can walk back over to third base and still play third base. But if you pick up the ball – on the dirt and throw it to, to home plate for any reason, it could be a scuff ball. You throw it home plate, you got to face that hitter. That's interesting. So I think seeing these things, I'm okay with some of the shifts, but it's gotten it's 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 to me it has gone overboard. I I would like to see some of the athletes because we'll get our athletes back in the game play. And I like to see guys like myself that knows how to break down mechanics, uh, understand that you know, hey, you throw 100 miles an hour, but we're not getting fastballs over for strike one. If you give me 97 with some with some juice downhill. We're going to get out. You're going to be that guy in the game late that we can count on and trust. 
we can get back to some of that. Because we got the arms. We got the we get, we have the ability. We have the athletes. But I, I just think right now we're not being we're, we're missing something with the teaching part and development part of that. Yeah, it's like Tom, it's like you looked at uh my notes here because I was actually gonna ask you if you thought it was a lost art as far as pitching concerned or pitching was concerned, because I was gonna ask you, it seems like a lot of pitchers seems like this day and age they like to overpower hitters, pitch up in the zone with just high heat. But the art of locating and hitting the spots, the corners, it's the select few that can do that now. And back uh, you know, even 10 years ago when the average fastball was under 95 miles an hour or 15 years ago, there was a lot more of that location and that, you know, the Greg Maddoxes of the world come to mind and, and the guys like the Johan Santanas who were really good with a fastball changeup combo where he didn't have a fastball that was, you know, 97, but he threw, you know, 94, 95, but had a great change to go along with. I feel like that kind of pitching is, is not existing anymore. Yeah. Well, and you're absolutely right. You're not seeing a guy that's a young player that's coming up that's understanding what what in regards um pitching one-on-one should look like you know if you ask a guy today hey what do you get first you get command first or you get control first you're going to get control first then you get command command part comes as you understand your three pitches or four pitches that you throw because what happens is if i ask you to throw a strike and you throw a strike that's good. But if I ask you to throw a strike with, with three, two, and you feel like you're around the plate, but that's not a strike, you'll start believing in that. That That's the difference in trying to become a better pitcher and a better pro is that a pro could learn from once he once he understands throwing pitches in the control area, then he makes that big jump to understand the command area. And that's where it all trickles into starting, because you got to understand being a guy that can throw hard and just be in the middle of the plate. Yes, that's throwing strikes. But could you also be a guy that threw hard that could hit the corners and get an out? Because most of these guys in the big leagues, even double A, triple A guys can hit a hundred mile an hour fastball. So we got to get guys back to understanding what comes first control. Then there's command. If you're a guy that's a pitch starting pitcher, usually you can get away with control for a little while because sometimes that that uh, what that is called uh, effectively wild would get mm-hmm. you away with games for a little while, just a little while. But you then have to be in command of the game. And once you get to command the game, you'll notice that a pitcher pitches better when he can move the ball around, command his one side. It's very, it's very important that we get back to teaching and understand, developing the kids' minds to say, hey, still hitters only get to, to uh, make – you don't let the hitters take both sides. Now, that's an old, that's an old style of baseball. But however, I think that still should be a part of baseball that every major league and minor league pitching coach should at least be able to say and implement to their pitchers. We got to have an understanding of what it is each guy can do. This guy can't pitch in the eighth, ninth, eighth, ninth if he don't have command. But he can pitch and bridge the gap to the closer after the starter if he throw if he throw if he has control. We just got to uh, redefine that and understand what it is these guys are doing. And, and not just look to the big arm to have all the solutions. Because Jamie Moyer, Jamie Moyer, in this day and age, would have never pitched in the big leagues. And that was one of my closest teammates. I asked him this question. So I said, Jamie, bro, do you think you could throw the ball softer and get out? He said, absolutely. I said, softer than what you're throwing now and get out. He said, absolutely. But me, I could not have gone out there feeling like I can't throw – Harder than 92. For some reason, it was just a mental block. It just made me feel like that. I needed more than 92. 
But that's the guy today. People wouldn't even probably call his family for a weekend travel showcase or nothing because they feel like, wow, he can't break a plane of glass. But he's a pitcher. He's polished. He understands his ability. He gets out. He understands what's needed on the infield, how to get a double play, where to be on double play. And what the what the uh, offense dictated, he gave. And, and, and he was always on top. He won over 200 games. That's what I'm talking about in regards to games being sped up. It's not as boring anymore, but we need to have the efficient part of the game back. And that's you got command, you can stay in it, you can play in this game. But you, I mean, you got control, you can play in this game. But if you have command, you can be successful in the game. Flash, you want to hear a crazy joint, Jamie Moyer stat to show how long that he was in the majors? When he retired in July of 2012. He had faced 8.9% of all batters in Major League history. So goes to show that his pitching style was effective. That, that, that's it. His pitching style was. You know, of course, I was with him for a brief stint in Chicago, and I was with him with a brief stint in, in uh, Philadelphia. And he and I always talked. I always, even when he was in Seattle, I spoke to him a lot, and I would always ask him. And it made me it made me feel like, wow, I'm going 92 to 95, so – you may not be going well for me the first couple of days, but here's a guy that can be an inspiring to me. And he's a left-hander, but he gave me words of wisdom. And those words of wisdom was just figure out what are you doing well. If you're a command guy, then you got to get back to hitting that spot. You got to get back to locating that pitch down the way, especially when you know that the hitter's not taking both sides of the plate. You got to be able to establish that you can throw in effective. You know, today's kids, and it's, it's you know, I've said it to them blue in the face, but you got to understand now, today, you throw strikes when you want to get ahead. You throw balls when you want to get out. Everybody today is trying to hit strikes. Well, if you hit a strike over the middle hit all the time, you're probably going to hit a ground ball somewhere or pop up somewhere. But well, you got a hanging curveball in your eyes, and that sucker's coming from up in there. just like, wow, your eyes light up. Oh, I ain't missing that. I know they didn't miss mine. I know Manny didn't miss that. Uh, Griffey didn't miss one of mine. Sliders that was left up. So we got to get back to that and allow ourselves to understand what pitching and the development and stages of pitching, the mechanic side of pitching is repeating that uh, delivery needs to be about. Uh, just it's 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 kind of a lost start. And that's sad to say, but it is right now for this point at, at this point. We're talking with three time all star, Mr. Tom Flash Gordon. Tom, we just got a couple more questions mm-hmm. for you. because I want to respect your time here. And first one I want to ask you is. You have two sons, D and Nick, both uh, infielders by trade. You have so much pitching knowledge. Is any part of you disappointed that neither of them wanted to go the pitching route? <laughs> it's funny because, I'm, you know, listen, those two boys, they both can pitch. So I asked them both. I said, you know, it's like, it's like one of those rebelling moments against dad. And you guys just got in, your, got in your rooms and decide, hey, you know what? Dad's crazy. We ain't pitching. Like, we don't want to pitch. We want to show him we can play the infield. So. Yeah, yeah, but they both can throw. They both can throw curveballs. They both can throw change-ups. Nichols got it up to about 94, 95. Uh, but for me, man, I just love baseball so much. So I say, just okay, okay, if that's how you want to do it, you want to rebel, rebel against me, that's fine. At least I'll be the only one in there that can say, I got three all-star rings, one World Series. And you guys better hope to catch up with that. And I had a record in Major League Baseball. So you're going to need a lot of hits to catch up with Joe D. With all those base hits he got, so you know, and, and it's just been all in great fun. I appreciate and want to see, you know, you know, I, I, they did. They both pitched a little in high school, but I, I'm glad to see the fact that they do play their position. I'm really most humbled and happy about the fact that they play hard. 
They play hard and they're very coachable. I love that in them. You have the jersey, right, with each of their uh, their teams on the back, I'm sure, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they tried to give me those on, uh, like, birthdays. I told them, no, give, that, I'm, give, me, I'm gonna give you that back. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to keep it anyways. Probably put it on the wall eventually. But go buy me a Rolex watch. <laughs> <laughs> I they think they're getting off, man. You can't give your dad a bone. I was, hey, man, I've been in the league for a while. You going to go give me some? Go get me some. You know, but yeah. it, it, all in good fun. My boys have done a really good job with me. Love being around them. Matter of fact, we went to the Seaburn races last week, uh, 12 hours of Seaburn, and they showed up to cook sausage and everything with Dr. Bellum and their arms that much more. So their arms are very good. It's just interesting to know that they're still trying. They're still trying to figure it out. You know, in 2004 with Mariano, I felt like when Mel came over and said, hey, Flash, I want you to go to bullpen with me. I want you to go watch Mariano's bullpen. I was like, Mel, do you realize I got like four or five more years than Mariano? I think you should probably come watch me. He said, no, no, come on, go with me, buddy. So <laughs> from that role, I watched, learned, saw how Mariano did his front foot. He was kind of pigeon-toed. There was little things that he did with his body that it was unreal. I mean, it, was, it would be big to someone else that's trying to make that adjustment. But it was easy for Mariano to make that adjustment. And it was just amazing to watch. And you can tell when he knew he was off a little bit. Right away, he can tell it. That's awesome. And um, I'm curious because uh, you're talking to still about pitching. And it seems like you still have kind of the fire in you. If you went on the mound right now, what's that radar gun say? Well, I can honestly tell you this. Uh, well, remember the movie come out, The uh, Million Dollar Arm. Well, some guys I knew invested in that movie where uh, Disney World called out because they had the, the final segment of it at Disney World. And they wanted me to go out with them and take some shots. So. And this was a little while ago. So I get up on the mound. And uh, first couple guys out of New York, two brothers, twin brothers, they, they threw the ball really good. But they had to play somewhere before. So they got up to about nine, 89, 90, 91. So I, they said, well, we want to see what Coach Flash can do. And I was like, oh, man, I, I got this. I'm going to throw 89, 91 easy. First ball I threw, I mean, I thought I really let it go. It's 78. So I said, 78. So I tried to hump up a little more. Let it go. I said, 82. Hamstring started bothering me. Five seconds later, went to limping off the field. You two D and neat saying your daddy just tore his hamstring. <laughs> Over the million dollar arm thing. <laughs> so. He needs he need a medic. And then, I, then they start calling dad. It's all over the internet, all over the internet. I said, no, no, it's serious. He said, yes. So after that, I said, you know what? If I'm gonna play and I'm gonna go to do things, I go to fantasy camp. I've been going down for the last five years. So when I go down to fantasy camp, I may pitch nine or ten, ten innings. Uh, last year, I think I got up to eighty-five. Woo, Tom, a, a comeback in the in the works here. But I, I kind of take it a little serious because I. But yeah, I have fun with it. I do. We'll get you out of here on this. Uh, so when we have our guests on the show, we like to do a little bit of a fun rapid fire, just kind of a this or that, just whichever first one comes to your mind. Are you game for it? Uh, let's go. I'm in. All right. So first one, a save with no strikeouts or a hold with three strikeouts? Hold with three strikeouts. All right. Pop-tarts or toaster strudels? Pop tarts. All right. Your favorite favorite pop tart, though. Strawberry. Oh, that's good. That's good. Your favorite son. 
No, I'm just kidding. Your favorite <laughs> jersey you ever wore. <laughs> well, and they're going to hear this. All right. Well, my favorite son is Thomas Gordon. Love it. My middle son. So that way, Nicholas and D won't be pissed off. Well, wait a minute. Dad, you tell me I'm your favorite. <laughs> they all, all right. are. They all are. That, that's the good answer. I'm, yeah. Um, all right. Would you rather your clothes be two sizes too big or one size too small? Two sizes too big. Really? But if it was one size too small, you could just like walk out there with like swole looking arms and. But if, you said clothes. So are you talking about pants too? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because see, my pants, I still got those base, I got those football thighs, like I can still play. So anytime I put on some tight pants, some little small pants, it looks like I'm wearing my grandson pants. <laughs> and my grandson thinks that that's funny. He says, Daddy, are those my tight jeans? <laughs> so I'd rather go too big, and I can always put a big shirt and cover it over where my belt has lapped. I like that. All right, would you rather look 10 years older from the neck up or the neck down? From the neck up. All right. If you could have one wish granted today, or you could have three wishes granted in 10 years. One wish today. All right. Last couple here. Run as fast as a cheetah or fly one mile an hour. Fly one mile an hour. I figure that that's what the one I feel like everybody likes. Um, would you rather eat the same meal for the rest of the year or never use Instagram again? I'd rather eat the same meal every day. <laughs> My man likes year. Instagram. <laughs> Love it. All right. Fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? One horse-sized duck. I feel like you have like a mean right hook that you'd be able to take them down. <laughs> I'll try to get out of there at least first. <laughs> All right, last one. Eat an entire stick of butter or send an embarrassing email to everyone in your phone. Eat an entire stick of butter. You're the first one that's actually answered that that way. Because right now, when I go to a steakhouse, if I get steak, I can eat half a, already half a stick of butter on the bread. <laughs> you know that's what? True. That makes complete yeah. sense when you put it that way. <laughs> that's awesome. Tom, I want to thank you so much for giving us your time. It was an absolute privilege being able to talk with you today. Man, I appreciate you guys. And of course, man, I'm always out there. I know sometimes I'll be ripping and running. With this pandemic, man, everyone has kind of got scattered all over the place. Let me pray and say this for everyone on our behalf. You know, I just want to, we have an awesome God, man. And uh, we just got to trust God that much more. You guys as well, get the word out that. Hey, we all want to stay safe, stay safe for the, our families, but other families and see people kind of get back to their jobs, get back to their daily mm-hmm. lives. It's a sad part in, uh, in our you know moment right now in, in our U.S. history. And uh, I just pray and pray and pray because I love people. I want to see our baseball parks are opening back up and people get to work. Kids are getting back to school. Uh, I just like I said, I'm praying for guys to, you know, open up these this rough time that we're having give us back some solitude and some, some real comfort. And I know he can do it. So I'm just trusting that. And I hope you guys are too in the same. Hey Tom, I'm going to order a Jersey of yours tonight. Which team should I order it from? Make sure you put two of those in there. Cause I'm about to get one too. I'll get a different color, but make sure you follow Tom on Instagram at flash.perfectgameusa. 
not many men out there look as good in shades as this guy does. So make sure you check his page out. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you all. You're the man, Tom. I appreciate it, guys. Talk again soon. Really Talk appreciate soon, it. Man. Y'all be good. Be safe. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Take care.